Ooh, a step further. All right. Well, welcome back to a step further. This week we are we've we started this thing called rebuilding the temple, and and I called it rebuilding the temple not not because you know I want to talk about rebuilding a temple on Temple Mount. In fact, I want to take a little bit of a different approach, and we have. We've started talking about what exactly is the temple and and you know what all of this looks like because it's it's confusing and if we're not really reading the scripture and if we're we're taking scripture out of context then we're not really understanding the whole notion of a temple the whole idea of what a temple is or what it's meant to be for God and um, what he says from the very beginning. So we can't take the New Testament, we can't take the book of Revelation, or we can't take you know, one, one portion of the Bible and take it out of context. It's all part of one big story. And so in order to understand the temple, we even have to go back, kind of really go back to the very beginning. Um, I can remember that <clears throat> for many, 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 many years, uh, I have been, and I say many because I'm now 40. Gosh, I'm 40 years old. Um, it doesn't seem that old, but when you go back, um, the the things that that I've I've you know done or lived through or whatever um, for for over 20 years. This is the this is the sobering part. For over 20 years, um, I've been in some sort of fashion been in ministry, and so it's kind of like. Well, fresh out of high school, he kind of dove into ministry, and and I wasn't even sure I wanted to dive into ministry. I uh, wasn't even sure what I wanted to do, and yet the Lord kind of took me by the hand and led me. Even it was kind of like making decisions that I I wasn't obviously making for my life. Uh, <laughs> the Lord kind of just pulled me along. I feel like, and and since then I've been on this crazy journey. But one thing that's always been kind of a passion of mine is end time, you know, end time uh, philosophies, end time theology, end time theories, end times uh, teachings, all that stuff, and what really will happen in the end times. And I don't accept that everything that uh, we've been taught is truth, and and I've had to really pray about that and be like, okay, Lord, I know the things that are out there. And there's actually different theories and different beliefs and and whatever. So what's out there? And I don't accept what's out there. And if I'm supposed to, then, Lord, I need that settled in my heart. But if I'm not, well, then I need something to change with that. Like I need... I need some solidarity here, and and I need to know what it is that I'm supposed to believe, and maybe even teach, because one day, you know, I might be teaching, and well, sure enough, here I am, and I don't know, you know, what it is I'm supposed to teach, and so I've been in, I, I had been in prayer about it, rather, and one day the Lord said to me, you know, if you really want to know what the end is all about. You have to go back to the beginning because you can't take the end out of context. You can't take it out of the whole story. And there's one big story. And so you have this Bible and it's one big story. And and when we start taking things out of context and when we start taking scriptures out of context and when we start taking, you know, teachings and things that Jesus did out of context. And I realize that there are scriptures that 
they can stand alone on their own and they can apply to us and we can gain some revelation from it. But when, in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about understanding the, the teaching as a whole, we can't take it out of context. We have to put it in with the whole story, the, the story that God has, has written from the very beginning of time, the story that, that lays there from the foundation of time. The Bible says it was the work was done from the foundations of the earth. Um, and so when we talk about that, then, um, you know, we have to go back to the beginning and we have to understand what it was from the very beginning, what's the actual story. And so to go back... I want to go back, uh, and I'm going to start with actually the book of John, which seems like, well, wouldn't you start with Genesis since it's the beginning? But no, I'm going to start with John because John has an understanding of the beginning, and uh, from there I want to work my way and, and talk about the idea of an actual rebuilding of the temple and what that looks like for us. So John 1, in the very first verse of, of John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so when I look at the Word was God, um, we're talking when we're talking about the Word, we're talking the in the Greek it's the word logos. So it's one. It's logos means something said um, by implication. You know, a topic. It can also mean reasoning or motive by extension, a computation, especially I'm just reading out of Strong's Concordance, what what the actual word logos means. Um, or especially, he says, the divine expression. So, for example, Jesus. So Jesus is the expression, the divine expression. So account, cause, communication, concerning, doctrine, fame, have to do with intent, matter, mouth, preaching, question, reason, reckon, remove, you know, saying everything. All of these things, logos is what that means. So it's, it's either something said, so a, a word of mouth, or it's an expression, it's a reasoning or a motive, or it's a divine expression. So, um, Jesus. And that's what I want to focus on because it says it's a divine expression. It says he, because, and you go into verse two, it says he was in the beginning with God. So he being the word, the word was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, through the word. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So in him, the word was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, how do I know it's Jesus? Well, if I scroll down and I, and I, the reason I'm scrolling down to verse 14 is verses six. So I ended on verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse six talks about John. So John the Baptist, it says, there came a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. You know, remember John was was baptizing people and he says, there's going to come a, a guy who's, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And so the straps of his sandals. And he says, uh, he is the one, he's the, the lamb of God. And, and so John was testifying about this light so that all might believe through him, through him being John. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So here we're seeing that the light is a is a person, but the Bible's saying he wasn't the light, but he was testifying about the light. So everybody asked John, well, are you the Messiah? Well, no, I'm not the Messiah, but 
there is one coming after me, and he is the Messiah. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is that's verse 9. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you receive this word, this light, that you would become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, uh, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Then it says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He comes after me, has a high he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. Okay, so I'm gonna go back. So who is this word? The word is Jesus. And you can read every other gospel and see that that, that is who John is talking about. So the word is Jesus. The, and now in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now here's what I don't understand about a lot of Christianity. And it, in effect, it's caused me to, I'm going to be honest with you, it's caused me to really question, am I am I believing what I'm supposed to be believing? Is 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 there something lost in translation? Is there, you know, what is the deal going on here? And and there are many Christians who do not believe that Jesus is God. And so we have to go back and we go, now wait a minute. Is Jesus God or is he just, you know, is there God and then there's Jesus? You know, are, are God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, are, are they all God? Or is it God the Father, Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit? You know, because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 that it says, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one God. We don't believe in a, a pantheon of gods. We don't believe in, in, in multiple gods. And we're not polytheistic here. So is Jesus God? Or is he just a master? Well, here it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, now how do we, how do we reconcile all of that? If, if Jesus is God, and, and does that mean that we believe in multiple gods? Well, again, no. So I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to go to verse 16. This is where we're going to reconcile this here. Uh, actually, I actually want to go to verse 13. There's a lot. It's interesting. When you read um, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, especially things that, that Paul wrote, there's always, you, you can't just seem to start with a verse. You almost have to start with the whole chapter because <laughs> he always has this for or therefore or or so having said that kind of a that mindset so because every time you see for then you can't you know you have to put it back into its context or every time you see therefore you know or something like that you have to it's it's a thought in conjunction of something else that was already said so now i have to go through this whole thing and go okay well why what's the context here so verse 13 i was going to go back to 
verse 14, but verse 13 starts this thought. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And you can go back, and I would challenge you, I'm not going to go back, we could, this podcast is going to be super long if I keep going back. So I would challenge you to go back to chapter one, make sure that you're putting this all in context, in context, start with chapter one, start with verse one, go through and read it. But it says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Now, here's verse 15. This is where we're going to reconcile this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. Now, I know that's Jesus, because if I read, uh, go back to the book of John, again, uh, remember this, hold on to this verse. He is the head of, or he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. Hold on to that thought here for a second. And and I'm going to take us back to John. Let's see, John. Um. We're going to go John 15, and we're going to start with verse 1. By the way, um, real quick side note, if you are following along in your Bible and you go, oh man, he's he's going pretty fast, I'm actually using a, a Bible program on my tablet. So um, if you want to pause this, if you're using your actual Bible, uh, awesome. If you want to pause this, uh, along the way and and get to the Bible verses, I, I highly recommend it. Don't just, you know, if you're, if you're really wanting to dive into this with me and, and, and follow along, um, I would highly recommend that you just pause, that you can read through this with me. I'm using the New American Standard Bible. It's what I preach from on Sundays, um, so I'm just being consistent here. Uh, but I definitely, whatever translation you want to use, uh, whatever you're using, I just... Press pause, go to that verse, and and follow along with me. Highlight, underline your Bible, whatever you got to do. Um, whatever works for you to dive deeper into this, uh, I just want you to be able to dive deeper into this with me and see things uh, that I'm trying to point out to you and see where the Holy Spirit leads you in this whole thing. Okay, that maybe gave you time to get to John 15. And we'll just start with our first verse because he says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Okay, are you catching this? So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. So going back to Colossians and chapter 1, he said, remember in verse 17, it says, For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So now we know we're talking about Jesus. So this, this Jesus says, 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So this whole thing was created for Jesus. So Jesus is the image of. Jesus is the temple of. And now it's interesting because you go back to uh, the Old Testament and you can see where Jesus has been here. I mean, we've seen Jesus before in the Old Testament. He's he's not when he came to earth through the virgin Mary, it's not that was not the first time he has a, has been to this earth. It's the first time he has been to this earth in the flesh. In 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 a let me back that up. It's the first time he's been here as a bond servant. It's the first time that he has been here where he emptied himself. He literally went through the whole process of of being born the way that man is born and dying the way that man dies, like literally leaving this body, this this flesh. Okay. But this is not the first time he, he has appeared on this earth. It's not the it's not the first time he's appeared on this earth. And so you you go back and you go well, where has he appeared then? Where have, where have we seen him? Um, one of the places that I mentioned on Sunday was we saw this King King uh, Melchizedek. And it happened in Genesis. You can read about Melchizedek in, in the book of Genesis, time of Abraham. And what was happening was Abraham was given the promised land. At this time, he was Abram. He was known as Abram. So the Lord hadn't really come to him and said, I'm changing your name. But he's, he's Abram is going to war. He's, he's been given this promised land. But there was an actual, kind of like a world war that was, was happening. Uh, the kings from all of these different nations were coming against each other. And um, so Abram had these allies that were with him, and they, they fought. They won the battle. The point is, they come out, and then... The, it says the king of Salem come out to meet Abram, and the king of Salem is this guy called Melchizedek. It's, it's the only time in the Old Testament we hear about him, and then we hear about him again in the New Testament. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But in the Old Testament, he comes out, he greets Abram, and congratulates him on winning. Abram actually worships the guy, gives him a tenth or a tithe of of all that he was given or all that he wants. So he gives him a tenth or a tithe of all that he had. And uh, it says Melchizedek brought out the bread and wine. And they they had this sort of celebration type thing. It's interesting because Melchizedek, his, his name actually means king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem, but he's he's called in the Bible, he's called a high priest of God. Well, at that time, you know, you didn't have the Levites who were the the high priests, but they had this Melchizedek who was a high priest of God, and he was from Salem. Well, Salem, its root word is is the same as Shalom. So Salem actually means peace, like Shalom, peace, peace of the world, um, um, peace I give you, not which the world gives, but uh, peace that surpasses all understanding. So P E A C E peace. 
Shalom. And he's the king of peace. Well, I only know one king of peace, or only prince of peace, rather. And this prince of peace is who? Jesus, right? We, we call him the prince of peace. And I, he is the king of righteousness. Well, there's only one king of righteousness that I know, and that is Jesus. So you might be saying, if you're out there and you're not really into Christianity yet and you're listening, or you're going, well, how do you know it's Jesus? Let me take you to Isaiah 9, and I want to start with verse 2. This is a prophecy about Jesus. And it says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Well, we talked about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, uh, and the Word was God. And remember in, in that same thing, it said that He was the light, and the light gave life to men. Right? Okay, so He was the light. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence and with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Well, why is he called these things if it says a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Really, if he is the eternal, why was it that a child will be born to us? Because he already was, and that's the whole point, is that Jesus already was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he already was. It says, but he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and then Prince of Peace. Now catch this, I'm not done. It says, there will be no end to the increase of his government, or of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. So he will be the king of righteousness. Well, that's Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. And it says, remember, prince of peace. So he is the king of peace. That Salem, by the way, uh, Salem was a city that was eventually won over by the Jebusites. And um, the Jebusites, David went in against God's will. David went in and actually purchased the city from the Jebusites. And that became the city of David, which later became the city that we know today as Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem, again, S-A-L-E-M is at the end of Jerusalem. Um, the S-A-L-E-M was the Salem, that city that Melchizedek was from. I know I'm kind of over-explaining this, but I want you to see this here. Um, the city of peace, that's what Jerusalem actually means. The name Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, means the city of peace. So it's really cool that we can see where the kind of the, the history of the city, but then to see exactly where and where is Jesus' throne going to be. It's going to be in Jerusalem, so the city of peace. It's going to be that city. And 
It's where David's throne was. It's where Jesus' throne will be. And that's where his government will will uh, have no end. And the increase of his government will have no end. There will be no end to peace. And it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it, justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. Okay, so I, what I'm saying is, is that Jesus is the temple. Jesus is God. Jesus is the image of God. We have seen Jesus in the Old Testament. We saw it with Jacob. I mentioned that Sunday. Jacob wrestles an angel in Genesis 32, and, and he wrestles this angel who he comes to find out really is God. Um. And you can read Genesis 32, it starts with verse 24, where Jacob is left alone at night, and just as the dawn is breaking, he's fighting this angel who says, let go. The Bible calls him a man. Um, I'm sorry, I was looking something up here. Okay, the Bible calls him a man, and um, when... But Jacob's fighting him, and, and dawn's breaking, and the, and the guy says, well, let me go. And Jacob says, no, I'm not letting you go until I get a blessing. Well, why would Jacob say that? Like, what is so special about this man that he thinks he's going to get a blessing from him? Well, so he knows something here, and the clue is what happens next. So he says, what's your name? Jacob says, Jacob. And he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. (laughs) And the guy says, why do you have to ask my name? Like, you just literally fought me for a blessing. (laughs) And you need to know my name. And, And it's almost like Jacob just needed confirmation that what he was doing, what he thought he was doing, he was actually doing. And that was fighting with God. So it says... So Jacob was blessed there, and it says that he named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. This is the thing that I don't get. Moses asked God, he says, Lord, let me see your face. And and the Lord says, I can't let you see my face, because if you see my face, you're surely going to die. Well, then why is it that Jacob can see God face to face? Why is it that Abraham can see God face to face, and yet uh, Moses couldn't? But... When you actually, I'm going to teach you something here. When you actually go back into the word where Moses is asking this, and I want you to catch this really big and hold on to this because this is going to seem really out there. But it says that um, Moses asked to see God's face, and God says, I can't show you my face. If you look upon my face, you're going to surely die. But God says, hide in the cleft of the rock, and I am going to show you. And the, the, the Hebrew word that's used there is achor, which we have translated to behind, like God's backside, like the hinder parts of, of who God is. So it's not really in that regard. It wouldn't be answering Moses' prayer to say, Yes, I'm going to show you my glory, because the glory's in the face. If you look upon my glory, you're going to die. But I'll at least show you my hinder part. I'll at least show you my backside. No, that's not really, that's not necessarily what God was saying. That word ahor can mean something from behind, and then something far off, into the distant. Well, if God was going to show him something from behind... 
then we would have record of that, right? Well, guess who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. He's the one who sort of edited it out and, and, and wrote it down. So whether stories were handed to Moses, handed down to Moses, or whether God himself revealed the past to Moses, something from behind, because Moses, again, wrote down the record, the historical record of creation. So perhaps God showed him something from behind. But then perhaps God showed him something off in the distance, something way off in the distant in the future, because that's what that word achor can mean as well, is something off in the distance, something off in the future. Well, what would that be? When would we have record that God showed Moses that? And the answer is yes. First of all, Moses knew that there was somebody coming who would be a type like Moses and who would save the people. Well, how did he know that? Well, and then we go into the Gospels, and we can read in the New Testament where Jesus is taken up to the Mount of Transfiguration, right? He takes two disciples with him, and they go up the mountain, and who is standing there on the mountain? Elijah and Moses. And then a voice comes out of him and says, this is my son whom I am proud of. And the Spirit rested upon him. And so Moses actually got to see the image of the invisible God. The Colossians called him the image of the invisible God. So Moses actually got his prayer answered where he got to see God's face. So Moses was taken, he, he hid in the cleft of the rock and God showed him a vision. He, he took him into the future and showed him the, the fullness, the face of God. He answered that prayer. The reason I'm setting all of this up is I want us to see that Jesus is the temple of God. David wanted to build the temple in in Jerusalem. God told him no. Of course, he let Solomon build the temple. But he told David that there is there's nothing here on this earth. We can read it in Acts. Um, but there's nothing on this earth built by human hands that can contain God. So God can't exist in a temple built by human hands. And that was his point to David. It's not going to happen. And so because of that, what's going to contain? What's going to, how are we going to see God? And yet Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But not, it doesn't stop there because it says that if we are, uh, if we are a part of the vine, Jesus and I'm the vine and you are the branches. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, going back to Colossians, that everything was created through him and for him, right? Everything was created through him and for him. And then it says, uh, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is verse 18, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Uh, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, in Jesus, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So all things through Him. We, he is the head of the body, the church, and we are called the body of Christ. If we are called the body of Christ, 
then we ourselves are a part of the temple of God. And it says, if we receive Christ, if we become this new creation, then there's one thing that we receive, and that is the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And going back to the very beginning of this message, if God, if God is one God, and there is the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and if He dwells in us, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, if God is dwelling in us through His Spirit, then we are a part of the temple of God. And that's going to be important for the this coming message Sunday. And and then if you can't make it Sunday, then either, I would definitely watch the message on Sunday. If you can't watch it and you're just saying the podcast is as good as it gets for me, then okay, um, we'll... we'll enter into it in next week's podcast. But the point is this, is that we have to set this thing up to show you. I wanted to show you that because Jesus is the fullness, he's the image of the invisible God, that if we are the body of Christ, then we too are a part of the temple of God. And that's going to be huge. And that's important. Hold on to that for this week. And I encourage you again to, to dive into some of these scriptures a little bit more. Um, Acts Acts seven forty four through fifty talks about how God doesn't dwell in a temple made by human hands. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I mentioned Sunday was, and it was just more proof that Jesus is the temple. It says, "Destroy this temple in three days." This is when Jesus went into the temple and he uh, cleared out the the money changers and all that. He says, "My father's house was supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of thieves, a den of robbers." So this this whole thing, and and they ask him, he said, well, what kind of authority do you have to even come in to do this? And he says, listen, destroy this temple in three days, and what I'm going to do is I will rebuild it. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. They they laughed at him uh, because they said, you know, this thing took 46 years to build, and you think you can rebuild a temple in three days? And he wasn't talking about it, he was talking about his temple, his body. So it when you when you put all of this together, it makes sense that Jesus had to come to this earth in the human form then, when he did, and he had to live and he had to die so that he can reconcile all of us to him. So we all become part of the Bible says we're we're pillars in the temple of God, right? Revelation says it. You will be pillars in the temple of God. Well, does it mean that we're gonna actually turn into pillars in a in a building, it means that we are part of this this temple of God, this housing of God. And it means that God himself dwells within us. That if we would accept and receive Jesus, that we would be a part of this temple. That's, that's the whole of the story right there, is that because Jesus is the image of God, if we would partake in that and become one with him as he is one with the Father, that we would be pillars of in the temple of God, that we would become one with God. Um, that's the whole of this message, and and that's important because of now things to come. There are things to come, and I don't think, you guys, I don't think we're far off from what's to come, what I'm going to preach about on Sunday and, and in the next podcast. What, what things are to come, I don't think that we're far off on them, and I think that um, it's important to know our role. It's important to know that we are a part of the temple of God, and and these things to come are they they come to 
affect or try to affect the temple of God. And, and that's us. And so we need to hang on to that and hang on to the thought that we are a part of the temple of God. And so as this teaching comes about, Maybe it will make a little bit more sense about why things are happening in the world today, what's to come, and what to look for, and how to be prepared for it. Amen. So that's the message I have today. I pray that you would come on a Sunday. I would love to see you on a Sunday at 930. I pray also that you don't take my word for this, um, that you would dive deeper for yourself. I know that we're taking a step further into the messages that we do on Sunday, but take another step further. You know, that doesn't end here. Uh, keep going, keep researching, keep praying. The Bible, over and over, there is a reoccurring theme with Jesus, and it's why he spoke in parables, it's why there was uh, prophetic parables, it's why there was, it seems like prophecy in the Bible is a riddle that you have to figure out. It's done, and and this reoccurring theme is that scholars aren't going to be able to, to just study it and come up with an answer. It's, it wasn't meant for that. It was meant for anyone who sought Christ, anyone who sought the Holy Spirit, and sought after God wholeheartedly. Those are the people that would understand. Those are the people that would know and, and gain knowledge because they're going to receive that knowledge and, and do with it what God wants because they're in full surrender to God. That's what this is about. That's what how we receive knowledge. So dive in further. Pray about it. See what God has for you and see what God reveals to you. Don't just take my word for it. Um, I'm just another guy who seeks to surrender to the Lord and seeks to follow His way and His will and to, to learn things from Him and see what He has to teach. He is my teacher. That's that. I mean, I can hear things from other people and test the spirits and all that stuff just the way the Bible says. But at the end of the day, he's my teacher, and he should be your teacher too, not me. Um, so definitely test it out, see what he has to say, and and do that. The verses that I had, again, were Colossians 1, and I essentially went from 13 to, to 20. Uh, and I had John 1, I had Isaiah 9, which talks about the child is born to us, and that was 9, 2 through 7, I believe. Um, Genesis 14 talks about Melchizedek. Definitely dive into that. You can read about Jacob's fight in Genesis 32. And then um, you can read about John. Uh, John 2 is where Jesus destroys the temple. And Anyway, all of those things were verses that I used. Dive deeper into them. If you weren't able to pause, if you were just kind of listening, um, dive deeper into those verses and pray about it. And I'm going to shut up now because I feel like now I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> But I hope you have a wonderful week, and I do look forward to seeing you on Sunday at 9.30. If you can't make it there, we have our videos on, we have Facebook Live, and then um, hopefully we can get them uploaded to YouTube as well. So I love you, and again, I hope to see you soon.